us to learn and apply it to our lives. Lord, help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm used to getting uh, apples uh, from apple trees in our local area that are tart, you know. And uh, I love those tart apples because uh, uh, they make good apple pies. And my mama has some of the best apple pies there is. Wait, Dandy does too. She makes them just like my, my mama does. Now, you might say, well, that's an insult, but that's, that's a compliment, right? Okay, so I'm still on good terms. So anyway, uh, there's some apples, though, you might not put in an apple pie. I, earlier this fall, I was in August, we had picked some, and I thought, well, they're just Jonathan Smith, but I was wrong. Come back and come to find out they're really red and they're delicious, so if, if you have time, stop by Casey and Lita's after church and grab one of those, those apples. I don't know if I've ever tasted an apple like it. It's like candy. And why am I talking about apples? We need to be sweet. And we need to bear sweet fruit. And today we're going to talk about not just simply a new life, the new life that we have, but that new life should produce something that is sweet. And, and something that, that is powerfully great. Because in Christ, and when we look at chapter 3, and we're back to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to try to move very fast, there's a lot that we have here in verses 5 through 11 that we really need to go over, but I don't want to d- use more than one Sunday to do it, but we might have to. So we're going to dig into this as quickly as we can. But what we find here, starting in verses 1 through 4, and the rest of Colossians, keeping that in mind, we, we find that we're, we have a new life in Christ. And in verses 1 through 4, that we're to set our mind on the things above, the Christ-like things. And those things are powerful. And so we have this new life in Christ. It should produce something that is powerfully sweet, something that is powerfully great. It should produce Christ-like living. And so our new life, yes, it is sweet and it should be sweet. But in order for it to produce sweetness or that new life, that byproduct, we must put some things to death. We must put some things to death. And so in verses 5-7, through seven, follow along as I, I read these verses. Therefore, because of what we already said, right? Yeah, you need to have this this mind on the things above, not of the earth. You are hidden in Christ. You are, are a person who has been redeemed. Really, you have been made new and, and someday you will be revealed with Him. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience and in them you also once walked, notice the past tense, you once walked when you were living in them. And so we come to this passage and and we look at at it and it says, okay, let's put things to death. Now why? (laughs) Why? So I want to tell you why you should kill sin. Why you should be a murderer of sin. Why you should slay sin. In verses 5-6, through six, I would say one reason why is it's kill or be killed. <laughs> kill or be killed. Murder 
So we need to murder or mortify. And so the Greek, Greek word there is, is somewhat, it gives you the idea of atrophy or it's the idea to cut off what is already dead. And, and another tree, Sandy's tree, which I think is a Jonathan Smith apple tree, but it, she, she was telling me the other day, it seems like every time it, apples fall off the branch of that, that branch, it, it dies. <laughs> and so we had pruned it before. And so we need to prune what is dead. And really we think, oh, it's living, but no, it's dead. And sin brings death. And so we have this picture again. You think about what Jesus said, you know, it's better to cut it off if that right hand leads you to sin. And it's a picture, not necessarily actually cut it off, okay? And I was reading one of the commentaries they were talking about one guy who had caught, cut off something and then still continued to sin. It's the heart that needs to change. And so it's a picture of you need to get rid of it. It's the idea of putting it to death, to slate, to murder it, to cast it aside. Because it's like gangrene spreading to the rest of your body. And it seeks to kill you. And so those of you, as I, I used to read Louis L'Amour books, I would still, but I'm reading all these commentaries and other things. But anyway, the, the hunter needs to be, the hunted needs to be, the one that's being hunted needs to become the hunter. Or flee, right? We're to flee temptation. But we need to deal with sin in such a way that we slay it. We have died to sin's penalty, but sin's power still can be strong, our, our flesh being weak. That is why we must continually put sin to death by yielding. And how do we do that? It's by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.13 The weapon to kill sin. What is the weapon to kill sin? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God, and so we need to use the Word of God, right? Hebrews 4.12 is sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to cut and dice into joints and marrow. That's a Lee paraphrase, okay? So we need... To use the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. We need to love, use, grow in, memorize, know the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit can use it in our life to cut it out. Cut the sin out of our lives. And so sound theology is foundational to spiritual growth. So we need to know God's Word. We need to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice verse 6. Notice verse 6. Not only... Will sin kill? It is why God will judge the world. He disciplines His children and He will judge the world. This judgment is coming. Now notice verse 7. You formerly were this way. You formerly walked this way, but you no longer are to be living this way because you are a new creature. You're a new man, a new person. So that's not you. You're not the thistle plant. You're that sweet apple tree. I guess you can be a tart apple tree too. You know, 
That's good when you put it together and you mix it up and cook it together. And regardless, the fruit is to produce what God wants you to produce, and it's not sin, right? So no longer walk in them. Do not live this way. And so let's go over what, what do we... We have some specific sins here that it talks about. And, and I can, we can, let's classify these maybe. The, there's social sins and there, there's uh, sensual sins or there's, I would say, feel-good sins. Your, your passions. This first one here in verse uh, 5 in my translation says immorality. Uh, the Greek word is pornea comes from a word that was used for prostitutes in the Greek originally, but then that was used in the Greek to talk about uh, immorality or fornication. That is any sexual immorality. Some translations say immorality, but today people don't understand that that includes sexual immorality, and that's specifically what it's looking at. You know, pornea is the word we get pornography from. And so this this. Any sex outside of marriage is sin and is devastating. This causes serious consequences to all involved. And not only does it put roadblocks into future marriage, I was listening, I think it was uh, Family Life Today, and they were talking about this very issue. The guy said, I knew this would cause, possibly could cause uh, uh, problems within my intimacy with my wife someday, but I didn't realize how many roadblocks or problems it would cause in our regular relationship. But they go on to talk about, praise the Lord. The Lord God can heal. He can mend. He can make you and your spouse one in Him. But don't, deal, don't put up with this sin. Don't take the world's perspective of the sin, whether it's the most egregious ones that they are talking today is normal. And when they talk about that, you think, oh, it's just two heterosexuals, that's okay. No, it's not. Any sin outside of marriage is sin, and we are not to have it in our lives as a believer, as a new man. The next word points to impurity. It it still deals in large part with impure sexual sin or desire. Simply though means impurity. Uh, So moral impurity. The word after that is passion. Inordinate or shameful passion. We could also say lust. Unrestrained sexual appetite. So whether you're pursuing it uh, in one way or another, it is all sin. Whether it's in your mind, you're just dwelling on it with your mind or not, it is sin and it is destructive and we need to slay it. We need to get rid of it. Next word points to evil desire. And so some of these, these two words can... They're kind of hard in in my translation. You see uh, passion as lust, and some would put the evil desire as lust, but the evil desire, desire can be positive, okay? 
I, I love the word in the Greek for, for evil. I've probably said this before. Uh, the root word is kakas. You know, it makes me think of kaka, you know, bird kaka or something. It's bad. It's nasty. That's the word for evil in its various forms. But the word desire, it can be positive. But with this evil in front of it, it's evil desire or evil passion. It's a desire for what or something that is forbidden like sexual desire. Other desires, uh, you know, where it's used uh, in the New Testament, Romans 6.12, the desires of sin, Romans 6.12. Other passages for this word study of desire, uh, the desire of sin. The desire in Romans 13.14, Galatians 5.16 and 24, Ephesians 2.3, the desire of the flesh. Is how it's used there. In Ephesians 4.22, it talks about deceitful desire. And in 2 Timothy 2.22, youthful desire. In Titus 2.12, worldly desire. In Titus 3.3, slaves to desire. So desire can be good if it's set on the things of Christ, but when it's set on these things, the worldly things, the evil things, it's bad. We need to cut it out of our lives. Any desire that leads us to put ourselves above others and above God, any immoral sexual desires that lead to sex outside of marriage or any thought thereof. As we move along, we could say, okay, so the uh, sins of passion or sins, um, go back in my notes, and feel good sins, what we would say, oh, these, you know, they're okay. I'm not hurting anyone. The sins of self, more of the same, we could say, but here a little more diverse. These are all sins focusing on self-satisfaction, but here simply coined, and we go back to the ver- passage here you say well i thought we were about done well evil desire and there's one more right greed which amounts to idolatry greed so sins of self this is the desire to have more or uh, one lexicon says covetousness is another way you can say this word avarice insatiableness And it says here, this is idolatry, to put self above God, to make it all about you and what you want, what you desire. And the problem today is that we think we are are better than those in, in a few hundred years ago. Maybe we think more like a couple thousand years ago when they used to have these little statues and things that they would worship, right? So we think that we're better, but in fact, we may even be worse. Because oftentimes we don't worship a God, we just worship self. Which is, in fact, idolatry. Placing oneself above God. We look at our culture and we see that our culture forsakes God and elevates themselves. And we do it uh, in a lot of areas. Whether it's just looking at our capitalism where we want more, more, more. Whether we put 
other things above God, like maybe we think of science more than God, that that's more important, important and we worship science or we worship hobbies or sports or we worship uh, you know, just success in business or success in this or whatever it is in everything. We can put ourselves above God. We can minimize God or we can cast God aside as we see that our culture seeks to do, to cast God aside. So to be a Christian is to die of self, to ambition, to ego, and dare I say it, pride. Even pride. I found this quote, and I forget which commentary had it, whether it was John MacArthur or uh, uh, the Greek uh, commentary I have. It's by Puritan Richard Baxter. He says, Use sin as it will use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. It is your murderer and the murderer of the world. Use it, therefore, as a murderer should be used. Kill it before it kills you. And though it brings you to the grave as it did your head, it shall not be able to keep you there. I believe your head is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was killed to pay the penalty for our sins. But death could not keep Him there. And so if we have, as we've read earlier in this passage, in verse 3, you have died, right? For you have died. You have been killed. Your sins should be killed. They should be put off. They should be murdered. They should be cast aside. And therefore be alive in Christ and live the new life in Christ. Bring your flesh under subjection to the Spirit-filled new disposition. Put sin to death. Don't tolerate it. Don't play around with it. Okay? I don't know. I don't care how good of a, a snake charmer you are. Get rid of it. Throw it aside. Put sin to death because the new life in Christ must produce Christ-like living. Let's not fill it with sin. Second, to produce sweetness, we must get rid of the old ways. Verse 8-9, through it says, But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So second, to produce sweetness, we must get rid of the old ways. So we are to put off, I like to say, ugly actions. They're ugly. Okay? Put that ugliness aside. Maybe you're like me and once in a while you get upset and you're like, well, that's okay if people see that I'm upset. And then I see someone else that's upset and I'm like, boy, that's just ugly. All right? So that's why it's ugly actions, okay? It's not good. It isn't. Side note, bunny trail for one moment. I think it's better to spank, discipline your kid swiftly and quickly and calmly tell them it's wrong than to be a person that's just yelling at them all the time because they're not listening to you, okay? 
United States just yelling at other nations, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, without any action. They're going, who are you? (laughs) We're not going to listen to you. Why should we? You ain't going to do anything. It's ugly to yell and yell, to be angry, to be mad, to be hateful, to be vengeful. It's ugly. So now we have this picture to put it off. Kind of like a, a dirty coat. Dirty rags. If you've ever been working, and some of you maybe, I, I saw John underneath the combine, or up in the combine. I guess it wasn't underneath, up, up in the combine. You kind of get dusty. I don't, I don't ever want to crawl inside a combine again. Okay, I, I've been there, and it was clean. If you've ever crawled under a car, or a tractor, anything, trying to work, especially if it's, there's been a hydraulic leak and it's an old tractor, you know, you're probably a good chance of it. Don't do it in your clean Sunday clothes because you're going to get dirty. That clothes needs to be set aside before you go. Uh, young men, I'll just tell you, you know, if you, if you have stuff from cattle too, you've been out there in the field and you're all sweaty and got manure all over before you go on your date, okay, get, some, get cleaned up. Put some nice clothes on. So we need to put off the ugly and put on the new. Do not, and therefore, do not participate or engage in these actions any longer. And the specific actions are, one, anger. The first two words can be translated wrath, but the first is also translated anger. It is a word that can be positive in the sense that it is against something evil, sinful, or wrong, but it can be a long, seething emotion as well. And so it has this idea of just being an angry person, okay? Because the next word really is one of wrath, and we may think wrath is that long, seething, but really in the Greek, this next word has the idea of an outburst of rage. And so some people may have in their Bibles a translated rage. And that has to be quick-tempered. And the Freiburg lexicon says, a strong passion of soul or mind rage. So the third word is malice. Another is kaka or kakos is in this word, evil, right? Evil intent, malice, evil intent to do wrong or evil against someone, okay? So you're kind of conniving, you kind of, maybe your anger, your long-seething anger has turned into a hatred that you don't like someone or a group of people, and therefore you have this this, this idea that I'm going to do this to them or I, I, I intend to do evil against someone, the next word in the Greek is where we get our word blasphemy. Okay? And so if it was against God, it would be blasphemy. But so a lot of them translate it slander. Slander. Against people, it's called slander. That is, it's a harmful, abusive speech against someone's reputation, according to Freiburg Lexicon again. It's to be someone who's reviling against someone. And you're, you're, you're spreading False information probably because of it. Or maybe you're just making sure people understand some bad qualities of some people so that they have the same feelings about them. Next word or next item that's ugly, that you should put aside, that you should get rid of, that you should cast off is filthy speech or filthy communication. Uh, 
New Living Translation says dirty language. Uh, Others say, like mine translation, abusive language or speech. Uh, But it's a filthy or obscene language. And I think a lot of us have been around people who like to be funny and the only way they know how is through filthy language. And so really it has the idea of anything, I would say anything, that does not please God. That we would be ashamed of if our Savior heard us speaking it. We're to put it off in our lives. Now, it's a whole different conversation when we're talking about how we interact with those (laughs) that need the Lord who don't have the new man like we do, the new person like we do. You know, it's complicated, right? (laughs) But in your own life, don't let that come into your life and begin to be something that you spew out, right? It's disgusting to God, and it should be disgusting to us. Not in that we, and when we look at this passage, not in that we have a bad view towards those who haven't got the clue yet, haven't got the memo. We need to love them. We need to care about them. But we cannot let that be a part of our lives or come out of our mouths. Put off as well wretched lying. And this is kind of in its, you know, ugly actions. And you say, well, lying is an ugly action. But here, look at this passage again here. Okay, abusive. I guess mine says abusive speech on that last one. But really, it's got this filthiness to it, okay? And so, yes, it does include abuse. Verse 9, do not lie. This is an imperative. Do not lie. To who? To one another. You believers in Colossians, don't lie to each other. Since you have laid aside the old self, right? We have put it off, the old self, with its evil practices. So what is lying? Well, in this verse, it's an evil practice, right? Whether it's uh, white and gray or whatever. Don't lie to one another. Since you... And put off the old man. So we could say this is also beginning to look at social sins. All of these in this last point. Social sins. And on top of these social sins, the icing on the cake is lying and we're to put it off. But how did we get there to here in the first place? I guess I should rephrase that. You're probably, you mean in the sermon? What are you talking about? Well, I mean why are we dealing with all of this in the first place? Why do we deal with sin in the first place? Go back to the Garden of Eden. What is it that the serpent did? What is Satan? Who is Satan called? The father of lies. The serpent lied. And Eve accepted and kind of switched a little bit of the, the, what she had been commanded and, and they believed the lie. Lie is dangerous and destructive. You know, people buy into lies all the time. As a new person, we're to, as a new person in Christ, born again, redeemed, having this new nature, this new person, we are to put it all away from us. It's, it's, it's kind of like, maybe we should, in all of these, we could say it's like an oily rag, but the lies are like an oily or gassy rag. 
Just imagine if, you, if okay, you're not going to have fun, you, you and your family go out, and let's have a little bonfire, and one of the kids, or maybe it's one of us adults, us men sometimes, we, we do things that aren't that smart. We bring out one of those gassy rags, and we start twirling it around the fire. Okay, if it's gasoline, it's really dangerous. Right? How many of you think that would be smart? Anybody here thinks that's smart? I'm the only one? No, I don't think it's smart. Oh, it's fun. It's dangerous. No. It could destroy. It could blow up in your face. It's destructive. So lying is destructive to you. It's dangerous to you. It's destructive to your relationships. It's dangerous for your relationships. It's destructive to the family of God. All of you Colossians do not accept this. Do not allow this in your life. Put it aside. You know, uh, I don't know, has it already been a couple months maybe? Evelyn was showing a, a lamb and so we had it sheared. And you know, after they're sheared, they look really nice and white. And a nice white wool. And then we put it back in the herd and a week later come and, oh, it's not as dingy as the other lambs, but it's dingy. It's not white anymore. So the trick was to wash it and have it ready for the next day without it getting dirty. And, well, we ended up washing it twice. Um, That lamb, you could tell it was different, but it needed to really be different. And, and the idea here is, you know, the world is going to get on us. But we need to continue in that relationship with Jesus Christ and continue to put that off, to continue to get rid of it. Our new life should produce a different living. It should produce a sweet life. Don't get dirtied by the world, but bring them before the great shepherd who can take the dirt and the stickers off. All right? You can cast them all away. Get rid of the old ways because the new life in Christ must produce Christ-like living. Finally, okay? Finally. Third, to produce sweetness, put on the new man. So when you look at the bad habits, you, you, you need to get rid of those bad habits, but a lot of times you can't just cast them aside. You've got to add something good, positive. And we don't like to deal with the negative, do we? The casting aside, the murdering, the cutting out. But you know, the doctors, a lot of times, it's a praise if the doctor can cut all the cancer out, right? The doctor can get rid of the thing that's destroying you. We're going to put an end to your life. That's a good thing. But now let's talk about the positive, the healing, or let's, let's talk about the growth, the new man. And so... The positive is we are to grow in Christ, okay, as a new man, as a new person. Look at verse 10 and 11, and this is really a bridge into the next portion of Scripture. And have put on the new, okay, so we put off the evil practices, the lying and everything, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And I could probably spend a whole Sunday 
or more on that last phrase, but Christ is all and in all. But let's back up here just a minute. So we are to be renewed in knowledge. That, and this is not talking about the Gnosticism, but a growth of relationship with Jesus and an understanding of the Word of God, right? We go back to the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is able to get rid of all that nastiness in our lives and to bring us closer to the Lord Jesus and to help us as we're walking with Him, as we're studying it, to be filled with the Spirit, which is the ability then, therefore, to be able to say no to sin and yes to the things of Christ, to know, hey, yeah, that is wrong. Yeah, this is good. This is where the Lord wants me, right? It's not talking about some weird mystic knowledge, but it's talking about knowing Christ more. It's talking about reading His Word, knowing what it says, All right, knowing what each verse says. Also knowing the doctrines that the Bible teaches, right? Knowing how to apply it. Memorizing it. Like Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law, and really for Joshua is the first five (laughs) books of the Bible, what's called the Torah or the Pentateuch or the books of the law, right? Good news club, you guys got that? Just a review for you. But this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Praise the Lord. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture. We know that verse, right? You could probably quote it with me. All Scripture is inspired by God. All of it. And profitable for teaching. All of it. For reproof, all of it. For correction, all of it. For training in righteousness, all of it is. So that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. We need to know the Word of God. We need to put into our life the Word of God. And when we see those sins, it's just my arms atrophying because it's dead and I'm sinning. Use the Word of God to cut it off, right? Well, but the Word of God in your life, when you see that temptation run, no Scripture so that it, the Holy Spirit can use it in your life so you can say no to it, okay? But grow. And, and a natural result of this is that there is unity in the body of Christ as we all grow closer to Jesus. There is no division. And so we look at this. It says Jew or Greek. There's no religious difference. And now Jew and Greek, they were Jews would not accept the Greeks, Okay? And then it says circumcised or not. So it's not religious and it's not ethnic because it goes on because just as the Jews look down at the Greeks, the Greeks look down at the barbarians. That's where we get the Greek word there is, I'm not going to try to say it, but it's where we get the word barbarian, which comes from originally the first use of it was to talk about languages that the Greeks did not understand, an unintelligible language. So all those other tribes, all those other nations, they looked at as barbarians. They're not us. You can't even understand them. Okay, So it's not ethnic. It's not national. And it's not cultural. Okay? We're all united. None of these should divide. And so the next word is Scythian. These were tribes just north of of Greece, some even up into southern Russia. Okay? Way back in the early days of 
for the Greeks. They, these had tribes just like when Israel had marauders coming over against them. Remember, it was... Uh, uh, oh, I shouldn't try to ad-lib sometimes, right? Uh, the, the general who came to... to uh, All right, anyway, who, was, who he told to go into the water, the Jordan, right? So his, his servant girl was a Jewess who had been kidnapped from marauders, okay? So these Scythians were doing the same thing to the Greeks. All right, back on task. All right, here we go. But these Scythians, they would also kill and destroy, and they were known for uh, scalping, Okay, it's, I don't know if it is where we get the word, but it's very similar to what we would use for savage. Okay, and so it doesn't matter how you look at those other cultures, those other nations, those other people. If we are in Jesus, we're all together in Him. There should be unity. And if we cast away all those hateful, vengeful things, and if we cast out that sin, especially passion and the sexual sins, then we can all grow together in Christ. There's, there's, there are no societal divisions there should be no societal divisions there should be no ethnic there should be no cultural divisions for the church of god now there are different churches focused on different things right okay there's cowboy churches there's this church but we shouldn't be focused on that so much that we exclude other people and so in each church in your group there's naturally going to be different kinds of churches because they're in different cultures and different places but we're all one in Christ. And so if, those, if there's several cultures that come together, there should be no division. Okay? If they're in Christ. And then we end with that, the wonderful phrase, right? That sums it up. But Christ is all and in all. If you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are in Him and He in you through His Holy Spirit. He is in all of those who believe through His Holy Spirit. So we're all equal in Christ. We are all to be united. Christ is, uh, is also our Creator. Remember chapter 1, verse 15. He is everything. He is all the, our, what we need. He is totally sufficient. He is everything to all of us believers. And so we are to put on the new man because the new life in Christ must produce Christ-like living. And so whether we're a single sweet apple or we're cooked together in the crock, crock pot to make a sweet applesauce or whatever it is, we should have the sweetness about us that the world's saying, wow, who are these people? Or who is this individual? And as a pastor, I look around and I know that there are some people when they see that I'm a pastor, they're going to go, oh, I don't really want to deal with him. And then some, one of you can come along as a neighbor or as a friend or through some sort of contact and, and they're like, oh, well, tell me about this. And if it was me, they would say no. So we all have a part to play. Okay? Doesn't mean everyone will understand where we're coming from, but we are to point them to Christ. And if we're living in rage and anger and lustful passions and, and like the rest of the world, they're going to say, oh, whatever. If they cast away what we have to say because of, of 
who we are in Christ and we're living for Him, praise the Lord. But if they cast away what we say and, and what we've been doing because we've been like the rest of the world, that is heartbreaking. And so as we come to this passage, we see there is a battle. And when we look at this, this nation, we see that there's going to be a greater chance to shine. Let's keep our minds on Christ. Let's keep continuing to serve Him. And, and when sin comes nipping at our heels, you know, like, like a cow dog, you know, after cattle, we either need to run and get totally away from that temptation. Or have you ever seen a cow turn around and chase a dog around? Now, a mature dog, he'll figure out what he needs to do. That cow's liable to get a little bit of bloody nose. Okay? But a pup, gone. I better yet, uh, when I was growing up, I remember we had this stubby red, uh, black, uh, red, white face, stubby horn, and we were trying to get her in. And all of a sudden, I see her go and stomp at something. She come back and she put her head down somehow. And I don't know how she did it, but she flung this long thing twirling in the air. You know what it was? It was a snake. You ever see that? I've seen it once. She went across that and stomped on it. She even put her knees on it. I can remember that. That was crazy. She's putting it to death. She'd run by and <laughs> finally she moved on. Good thing we just had bull snakes around there. <laughs> We're supposed to crush sin in our lives and let Christ reign. Murder it, kill it, get rid of it. Don't play with it. Don't say, oh, look, oh, isn't it so cute? Ow! Right? That's what's going to happen. Got the picture. Okay. So, just to recap. Put sin to death. Don't tolerate it. Put on Christ. How? By being in the Word. Growing in the Word. Knowledge of the Word. Your relationship with Christ. When you see sin, run. See that temptation, run. And love one another. Okay. starve sin, kill it, get rid of it, feed yourself with the Word of God and with the love that we should have from one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your mercy and Your grace towards us in that while we were yet sinners, You died for us, Lord Jesus. Not only that, Lord Jesus, but You have blessed us with this new nature, with this new person that we have been re- not only redeemed, not only reconciled, but born again, regenerated. Help us to have more and more of Your Word and You in our life and the less of sin. Help us to be the light that You have called us to be in a dead and dying world. Help us to be um, encouragement for one another, to be those who are loving one another, not allowing uh, lies or any other sin to get in between our relationship with one another as spouses or as a church family. Help us to deal with each other compassionately, but Lord, help us to kill sin in our lives. Thank You, Lord, for all that You've done. Help us to give You the glory in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, Amen. Could we have the young youngsters